So good to see you. You picked the right day to be here, right? Battle ready. Everybody say battle ready. Man, we, we, we have no doubt that this is, this is a now word from God for our church. And, and what's been funny is, as I've been listening to other preachers, other pastors in other parts of the country, as they're teaching, this, this is a theme all over the place. This is not just for the gathering. This is, this is in the church. This is something that God is speaking to his church. I and mean, we need to be battle ready. We're so excited about what God's going to do over the next eight weeks in this series. Um, I want to say that in my life, I have been in one fight, only one. I don't know why you're already laughing. It's, it's humiliating to hear you say that. Um, so it was seventh grade. It was your classic showdown after school scenario. There was a girl involved. She's not the one that I fought. It was over a girl, right? Um, and so I was a seventh grader, and I was going to fight a sixth grader. And... Um, Again, the, the laughing why now, I don't know. It's because it's almost like you know that there was only one punch thrown and I didn't throw it. <laughs> right? I mean, I, I, it was one, a one-punch fight and I, I, I lost. And here's a, a couple reasons why I lost. One, I didn't really want to fight. Two, I didn't know how to fight. Three, I didn't really think the fight was going to happen. And so it was your classic, like, after school, I'm at the top of the stairs, and he's at the bottom of the stairs, and the stairs are lined with people that are there to see a 15-rounder. And I walk down the steps like, I'm a big, bad seventh. Bam! <laughs> it was over. The only fight. You could say I'm smart and learn to not be in fights, right? Because I'm not good at them. The point, though, is this. I wasn't ready to fight. A lot of you, a lot, a lot of us, are in the same scenario spiritually. Let's just bring that into the spiritual reality for a second. We don't really want to fight. We have our heads in the sand that there even is a fight. We're not prepared to fight. And the enemy's okay with that. He's okay with taking us out because we weren't ready to step into the fight. This entire series is to help you see the need to be battle ready. And, and for some of you, let me just give you a little pastoral warning. You're going to hate it. You're going to be uncomfortable. And here's why. Because you're asleep. You're sleepwalking through your faith. And you're going to be woken up. Spirit of God is sounding an alarm. Now, I've, I've shared this with some of you at various points throughout our history as a church, but when I was growing up, I had a problem with sleepwalking. Well, I didn't really have a problem with it because I didn't know I was doing it, but I used to sleepwalk a lot, and one of the most humiliating moments I ever heard was my mom, who looked at me one morning at breakfast and said, guess what you did last night? And when my mom said that, it was like, oh, God, what did I do last night? She said, well, I was, I was sleeping, and I heard a noise, and I got up, and I looked out, and when I looked out, I saw you walking down the hall, and so I followed you. And you walked down the hall, and you walked into the kitchen, and you opened up the refrigerator, and you looked in the refrigerator, you closed it. Then you walked into the, the den, and you acted like you were turning on the TV, picked up the remote, and you sat down in your dad's recliner. Then you got up and pretended like you were turning the TV off. You went back in the kitchen, you opened the fridge again, closed it. Even in your sleep, you do that. What's up with that? 
There's nothing there. Let's try again. Still not there. It's weird. And then you walked all the way back down the hall and got in bed. Buck naked. <laughs> Put yourself in my shoes, right? Like I'm, I'm like 17, 18 years old and my mom is telling me all this and she watched me do all that. Naked. Mom, you're like a perv. <laughs> Shouldn't you have just gone back to bed? I'd have been okay. <laughs> I can't even look at you in the eye. It's just bad. For some of you, you're going to have that moment over the next eight weeks. I'm just warning you. You're going to have a moment where you wake up and realize you've been sleepwalking through your faith. And you're not going to wake up in a cozy bed. You're going to wake up in the middle of a fight. Here's, here's how I know. You're already in it. The people that know you know you're in it. Everybody knows you're in a fight but you. And you're going to wake up and bullets are going to be flying past your head. You're going to hear them whizzing by. Some crazy dude with face paints running at you with a hatchet. I mean, it's just going to be nuts. You're going to be like, wait, when did this happen? It's always been going on. You've just been sleepwalking through your faith. You've been sleepwalking through the fight. And over the next eight weeks, the Spirit of God is going to wake you up. And I want you to be prepared for the fact that when your eyes first open, the shock of, holy cow, where did that enemy come from? The Bible says he's always been there. We're the ones who have not been engaged. He's always been engaged battle ready let's talking let's start in ephesians chapter 6 that's where we're going to be today ephesians chapter 6 i, I want to read to you just these four verses 10 11 12 and 13 and then i want to share with you just three truths that we know about the battle three truths that we that we can know and, and three truths that our enemy is trying very hard to make sure we don't know okay if you know these three truths you're going to be good to go but if you don't know these three truths, then you're going to want to close your eyes again, put your head in the sand, and act like there's not a fight. But there is. Everybody say, there's a fight. There's a fight around you. You're in it. You're the target. Here's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10, 11, 12, and 13. He says, finally, finally, we'll get to that in a minute, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Look at the person next to you. Even if you rode in a car with them on the way to church and fought, your fight is not against them. Look at them again because you don't believe me. They're not the reason you struggled this morning, even if they were slow getting ready. And they were. He's not the reason you struggled, even if he did speed. And he did. Isn't that funny? Speeding the church. What a concept. <laughs> Cop pulls you over. Where are you going so fast, church? Why are you breaking the law? Trying to get to church. <laughs> okay. But your struggle's not against the person you're next to. It's not against the person you live with. It's not against me as your preacher. My struggle's not against you as the congregation. 
Our struggle is not against the bad people in the city. Our struggle is against one enemy and one alone. And he's not flesh and blood. Here's our struggle. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So what Paul just did in three verses is he said there's a fight. There's an enemy. And what we typically do in church is stop there and go, I don't want to know about that. That just happened. Like That's somewhere else. That's in another country, another realm. I don't have to worry about that because I'm blessed. Thank you, Jesus. But then Paul continues and says, therefore. Tell me why is the therefore? We're supposed to say, what's that therefore, right? Why did he say therefore? Because whatever he's going to say next is what we're supposed to do as a result of the three verses we just read. Therefore, sing a lot of songs. Smile, even if you have to fake it. And act like everything's okay. That's not what it says. Therefore, make sure you watch really good podcasts. Not what it says. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. Why? So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand. Three things we can learn. Here's number one. We're confident in battle. We're confident in battle. Because we win. We were talking about this this morning. Um, 7.30 prayer. We got done. We're standing around the circle getting ready to close it out. And we were talking about... Um, Last season, it seems so long ago when the Panthers were good, doesn't it? Last season, it was just a year ago. And there was this one game that they played. I want to say it was week five, maybe six, but they played at Seattle. And I was going to be at Pfeiffer that night helping with some service that they had going on. And so I had my phone in my back pocket and it was on silent, vibrant. I mean, everything you can put it on so you will not know anything about the game. And, and at some point during that service at Pfeiffer, my, my butt starts vibrating like crazy. I mean, I'm getting texts all over the place. And I, I, I'm thinking, it must be an emergency. So I pulled it out. And all I saw was, on my notifications, I saw Mel Gardner's name and I saw a smiley face. And I was like, that's so weird that a, a dude would send me a smiley face. It's so weird. But then I thought, wait, he's a Panthers, maybe they won. I, I just tried to put it in my mind because I didn't want to know because I was recording the game. So all that's over. I don't know when I got home that night. It's probably like 9 o'clock. The game's long been over. And I sit down and I'm watching the game. So I'm on this side of the couch and Wendy's over here and I'm watching it. And if you, even if you're not a Panthers fan, everybody knows it was the worst game. It was the worst game. I mean, I'm watching the game and I'm thinking the whole time, I think, I thought maybe they won because Mel sent me that smiley face. And why would a dude send a dude a smiley face if it doesn't involve sports, right? There's no other reason. But the longer I watch the game, I'm going, ah, maybe he won the lottery. I mean, there's got to be some other reason he was excited, right? And he's like, I wish that was it. And then they won. And when it was over, I said, I, I can't believe we won. And Wendy is looking at me like she's looking at me right now. She's on this side of the couch and she's just looking at me like this, like I, I knew the whole time. seriously help a brother out right like tell me we win she's like I, I just had fun watching you sweat 
So on one side of the couch is peace, and on the other side is total panic, right? And what's the difference? She knew the outcome. We're confident in battle because we win. We've already won. Paul knew that. Listen, Paul is writing to the Ephesians, and here's what he says. Don't miss this word, finally. He says, finally. Now, now, sometimes what we do is we give people instructions, and then we use words like finally, but here's what we mean by it. Good luck. They'll never do it. Finally, just go on. Go give it your best shot. Paul's not saying good luck. Hope it works out. Finally is this is the most important thing in light of everything I've said to you up till this point. And what has he said to them up to this point? We can't do a whole blitz through Ephesians. We've done a study on Ephesians before, but he's basically said things like this. We are seated in heavenly places with Christ. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. Ephesians 1, 19 and 20. We win. You were foreigners and now you're in a family You were slaves, and now you're sons and daughters. He says in Ephesians that by the same Spirit we cry, Abba, Father. And he says all of that. Can you just imagine Ephesians reading that letter going, this is, man, this is good. Like, man, Jesus did all this for us? That's a place of victory. And he says, now finally, finally, in light of all that, you can be confident in this as you put on armor as you step into a fight you can be confident he uses this word stand right who's who who stands in a fight people who are confident they're ducking for cover they're not running they stand with confidence when you don't have confidence you waver my very first date I got grounded grounded after my first date here's why because my mom picked, we, she, she had to drive me. <laughs> she drives me. My mom's in a lot of my stories. It's funny. Man, she had a rough life. She, she takes me in the, in the Chevy Caprice Classic, and she's driving. It's like driving Paul, like driving Mr. Paul. So she's, she's the chauffeur. I'm in the back seat. She drives us to Susan's house. We pick Susan up. We go to the movie, and we watch Carbon Copy. That's going way back, I know. But we watch Carbon Copy. That's all I remember about the movie. And then... After the move's over, my mom picks us up. You know, me and Susan get in the back seat. She chauffeurs us back to Susan's house. And I tell mom, I'll be back. I'm going to walk her to the door. So I walk Susan to the door. Now, I'm talking to Susan, right, at the end of the date. And, and the whole time I'm talking, it's, it's kind of cold. And I kept hearing this car crank up, turn off, crank up, turn off. But it's me and Susan. You ever, I mean, come on. You ever been in that zone, guys? It's like me and the girl, right? And, and basically what I'm doing is I'm talking to her, trying to work up the nerve to kiss her. And then I hear the car crank up again. And then Susan says, what's that car doing? And she had been, like, looking past me and seeing a car driving up and down the street. Well, eventually my mom walks up the driveway and says, get in the car. She turned and walked away, and then Susan kissed me, right? She felt so bad for me. She's like, I'm going to help the dude out. Like, I'm going to kiss him, and it's going to be over. I get in the car. I had lost total track of time. I would made my mom sit in the car for an hour and a half. <laughs> Working up the nerve to kiss a girl goodnight that I'm not ever even going to marry. I mean, it's like I'm not even, I don't have a license yet. 
I don't have any business kissing a girl anyway. Obviously. Got home. My mom was fuming. If you know my mom, if you knew my mom, it's like this silent rage. You just knew that if there was a hell, you were in it, right? She walked in. She said like one or two words to my dad. And my dad said a lot of words to me. And I ended up being grounded after my first date. Why did it take me an hour and a half? No confidence. Confidence enables us to stand. Paul says, having done everything, stand. And after you've done everything else, stand. Who stands in a fight? People who are confident. We are confident in battle. A lot of the commentaries that I read said this over and over again. We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. It makes all the difference in the world to know that we win. One of the commentators that I read said this, all the resources that the Christian soldier needs are drawn from Christ and his mighty power. Listen, let me just unpack that term, mighty power, okay? Uh, Wendy's been reading this book called Dress to Kill. It's a great book, and it just unpacks Ephesians. Um, By the way, side note, if you go to the website and go to the Battle Ready series page, there's a link to a resource page that lists um, like how you can get text devotions. It lists like books on Amazon you can buy, things that I've read leading up to this series. It lists reading plans on YouVersion. Just, it's all there, okay? And this is one of them. And she was reading this to me the other day, and he was talking about the mighty power. What is this mighty power that Ephesians says that you and I can stand firm in? We, we stand in his might. And here's that mighty power. It's the same power, Ephesians 1, 19, 20, that raised Jesus from the dead. And the author of this book described it like this. Imagine Jesus in in the grave, and all of a sudden, every cell, every molecule in his body is alive with this energy, this power from the Holy Spirit that just begins to move his body. And it, it, it grows and grows in such power that eventually death cannot keep its grip on Jesus. Eventually, a stone is gone, and he is up and walking out in victory. And we celebrate it every Easter because churches do lame Christmas, I mean, Easter plays, right? We try to picture that, and you can't even picture it because if you could picture it, you wouldn't walk defeated. Because the Bible says that we stand in that might, same word, in the same mighty power that raised Jesus from the dead, and you can't get through lunch without gossiping. You don't think your prayers will be effective, so you don't pray. You have the same power in you that raised Jesus from the dead. And when you get that, you will be confident in battle. Because I've got this power from Jesus. Your big idea says this, that we need his might to stand and fight We can't do it in our own strength. We need his might to stand and fight. So we're confident in battle. We we fight from victory, not for victory. I'll say it a different way. We don't fight to secure victory. We fight secure in victory. A lot of people are fighting to secure a victory that Jesus has already gotten for you. We fight secure in victory. So stand confident. 
So we're confident in battle. Somebody say why. Why should we be confident in battle? We have an enemy. He's a jerk. He's angry. He's all around us. Why should we be confident in battle? Here's, here's number two. Here's the second thing we learn from Paul. Because we're clothed in armor. You're not just in a battle, I mean, thankfully, I mean, flashback to the naked story. You're not in the battle naked. Oh, thank goodness. I know you feel like you're waking up going, holy cow, like I'm in this battle and I didn't know I was in a battle. But you're confident in battle because you're clothed in armor. I love that God gives us what we need. I love that he clothes us in full armor. Let me tell you the confidence that full armor gives us because it knows, we know that we're protected by this armor. We know that we have powerful weapons. We're going to unpack that over the whole series. Um, I run a lot, right? I run a lot, and I run out on country roads, and I hear dogs bark all the time. Nothing strikes fear in a runner's heart like a dog going rough. Because they're rough. Can I get an amen from the runners in the house? Let me rephrase that. Nothing strikes fear in the heart of a runner like the idea of a dog being on their route and barking, right? But it's all theoretical. It never actually happens until it does. We got that picture from Ohio? So this is me on a little jog up in Ohio over the summer, and I met a dog. And then the fear of dogs while you run became a lot more real. Because this dog, unlike all the other dogs, Stanley County people are awesome, by the way. This dog wasn't chained, in a fence, none of it. He was just, he was just on the porch apparently waiting for me. <laughs> Bless his heart, right? What I did learn in this whole experience is that when a dog attacks you, it's a boy. Because girls would never do that, right? Like I told me. Oh, that dog was vicious. He was vicious. Like, how do you know it's a guy? It just had to be. <laughs> it had to have been a guy. So when you go run, you can take that off if it's not already off. When you go run, here's, here's what I've learned. When a dog barks and I see that he's behind a fence, guess what I don't have? Fear. Because I know there's only, one, there's only two ways that dog can hurt me. One, if the owner came out and opened the fence which would be stupid and mean, right? That'd be mean. Surely no owner's going to do that. And then two, the only other way, the only other possible way that dog can hurt me is if I get full of pride and say to myself, that dog's not really mean. That dog likes me. I'm going to jump over the fence and make friends with the dog. Now, you don't have to be a runner to know that that's stupid. Do you know... That because Satan has been defeated so soundly by Jesus, and you will hear this over and over and over again as we go forward. Colossians says that Jesus made a public spectacle of Satan at the cross. He has been not partially defeated. He is defeated. He has zero authority in your life. Everybody say zero. None. Nada. Zilch. He has no authority in your life. But here's where Christians make a mistake. They forget that he still has power. A dog, a Rottweiler, a pit bull. I mean, picture the worst, the most vicious chihuahua. I mean, (laughs) put that dog on a road without any leash, and that dog has power and 
He has authority to attack me because we're in the same space. But take that same dog and put him behind a fence. And he's got the exact same power. But no authority. No access. He cannot get to me. Here's why our enemy has so much fun with believers. Because we don't accept the fact that we have an enemy. We deny the fact that we're in a fight. We're consumed with fighting with our spouse when we should be fighting with the power behind the disagreement with our spouse. You're going to be given a copy of the Screwtape Letters, and it is a book written by C.S. Lewis. It's a kind of a weird book. You'll, you'll, you'll figure it out. We've got devotions to help you along the way. But basically, it's just him going, let's take a, a peek behind the scenes and see how a, a head demon would train his nephew demon to infiltrate and affect Christians' lives. See, you've been taught that that doesn't happen, but it does. There is a real enemy, but the, the truth is he's, he's still got power but no authority. At the, at the cross, Jesus chained him. You're like, well, why do I still fight? Because he still has power. And he still hates you. And he's been defeated, so he's really mad. And if he could get near you, he will hurt you. So maybe we should stop living our lives so doggone close to the edge. Ah, it's, just, it's just coffee with a coworker. She doesn't really mean anything to me. She just, she listens so well. I think she gets me. And my wife is tired all the time. But it's just coffee. No, that's you being stupid and jumping over a fence where there's a pit bull. And that's just one example, right? Let's talk about this armor that, that Jesus gave us. We, we don't need to fear an enemy because Jesus has clothed us in armor. We have an enemy. Here's just a couple verses. 1 Peter 5, 8, he's looking for someone to devour. This is his whole, like, he, you wake up in the morning and go, today, how can I make more money? He wakes up and goes, today, who can I devour? I don't want to be friends with that person. Do you? I don't want to be friends with somebody who's looking to hurt me. But Satan is always looking for someone to devour. Now, I want you to get this. The Bible says that he prowls around like a roaring lion. So let's just be really clear. He's not one. He's just like one. He would like you to think that he can bite you, but he's been defanged. Fear is his weapon. Deception is his weapon. More about that over the next few weeks. John 10.10, 10, in case you're not convinced, says that he is looking to steal, kill, and destroy. None of those are good words, am I right? Just make, you didn't sound convinced. Still kill, destroy. Those aren't gifts you give people for Christmas, right? Okay, these are not good things. This is his whole game plan. This is your enemy, right? We're confident in battle because that enemy, even though he has power, his authority has been destroyed at the cross. We have confident, we're confident in battle because Jesus defeated that enemy. And we're confident in battle because even though that enemy may still have power, may still be angry, our father, our good, good father did not look at us and go, 
just go out there and stand and be naked and survive. He said, no, no, I've already won this battle. I've already secured the victory. But I know there's still an enemy who has power and who will like to try to get near you. And so I'm going to give you this armor and I'm going to give you these weapons. And you're going to go and you're going to stand confident in battle because you're clothed in my armor. He says that he's given us his full armor. You don't serve a God that gives partial protection. You serve a God who gives full protection. He's not all talk and no empowering. He's given you everything you need to stand confidently in the fight. And here's the only real question. So we're confident in battle. Why? Because we're clothed in armor. Why? Why would God give us armor? Everybody say why. why? This is it. We're wrapping it up. Okay, here we go. Because we're called to fight. He, he did not give you armor so that you could gather once a week and compare it with everybody else's. Dude, your shield's looking pretty good, but check mine out. I, I polished it up last night. <sighs> Thing shines. Is that glare bothering you a little bit? I'm sorry. It's my shiny shield. That's not why he gave you armor. He clothed you in armor because he's called you to fight. There is a fight that you and I are to be a part of. The question is, will we? Will we fight? Put on the full armor of God so that you may take your stand against the evil schemes. We read that in Ephesians 6.13. Paul, uh, in Jude 1.3, these words, Dear friends, Although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share. Let's just paraphrase that. Hey, church, although I'm really pumped about talking to you about the salvation that we have in Jesus, I am compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith. Yeah, I would love to talk about blessings and all that stuff, but it, fight! You're called to fight. Not to get in little Bible clubs and memorize verses. That's all good. But those are to prepare you to fight. I don't know, man. If I fight, I'll mess up my armor. Exactly. The point. You've been given armor to be used. Not to show off. Well, I've got really good armor. And I've, I've got three different versions memorized of it. I know, I know how to pronounce all the armor pieces in Greek. Fantastic. But can you fight? Can you fight? Do you know what to do when you meet somebody in Walmart that needs to be healed? Do you know what to do when you meet somebody in Walmart whose marriage fell apart? Do you know how to fight? We're called to fight. The last letter that Paul wrote, one of the last things he said, 1 Timothy 6, 12. Fight the good fight of the faith. Timothy, listen, I'm preparing you for ministry. Fight the good fight of faith. And then Paul wraps, follows that up in 2 Timothy by saying, I have fought the good fight. 
We're not given the luxury of hoping that the fight goes away or that it won't be as bad as we fear. I, I love, we'll talk about this in Deuteronomy 7. I know we've got to wrap this thing up. In Deuteronomy 7, we see the story of God giving a promised land to his people. But he gave them a promised land that was full of giants. And he said, I'm giving you the promised land. Now, I'm going to drive these giants out ahead of you, and here's the armor that you'll need. I want, I want you to picture this, okay? God said, I will drive them out, but I'm going to use you in the process of driving them out. And it's, just, it's not even about millennials. This is just our country. In typical entitled American fashion, we say, well, if you're giving me the promised land, take care of them, God, and then give it to me. I know I'm only 25 years old, but give me a house that took my parents 30 years to buy. Give it to me ready, prepared, decorated, do all the work, God, and then just let me recline. That's not the way God works. God says, I've given you the promise. And I'm going to help drive out the enemy in front of you, but you're going to be a part of the process. So suit up, put on your armor. I gave you the armor because I'm calling you to fight. There's a victory that we must fight from, and I'm going to ask you this again. Will you fight? Watch this. Reverend, with your permission, I'd like to make an announcement. Young man, this is a house of God. I understand that, Reverend. I apologize. The South Carolina militia is being called up. I'm here to enlist every man willing. Son, we are here to pray for the souls of those men hanging outside. Yes, pray for them. But honor them by taking up arms with us. And bring more suffering to this town? King George can hang those men, our friends. He can hang any one of us. Dad Scott, barely a week ago, I heard you rail for two hours about independence. And? Mr. Hardwick, how many times have I heard you speak of freedom at my father's table? Half the men in this church, including you, Father, and you, Reverend, are as ardent patriots as I. Will you now, when you are needed most, stop at only words? Is that the sort of men you are? I ask only that you act upon the beliefs of which you have so strongly spoken and in which you so strongly believe. Who's with us?
Let's close your eyes. Let me ask you this question that she asked those men. Will you now, when you are needed most, stop at only words? Or will you fight? Will you fight? Men, will you fight? Will you contend for the faith? Will you fight for your family? Your family is worth fighting for. This church is worth fighting for. This city is worth fighting for. This nation is worth fighting for. When I watch that clip, my blood runs hot. My fists get clenched. And I stand. And I'm going to call you to stand. If you will stand, if you will fight, will you now fight or will you stop at only words? And if you are saying, God, I'm confident in battle because you've clothed me in armor, but I recognize that you've clothed me in armor because you have called me to fight. Then I want you to join me here because I want to pray over you that he would fill you with the power of his might with the same power that filled every molecule of Jesus in the tomb that made it impossible for him to sleepwalk through his faith Here on the first Sunday of Battle Ready, ask yourself this question. What would your family look like if you engage and fight? What what will the city look like if we engage and fight? What will you look like when you engage and fight? So, Father, my prayer now is that you would fill this army with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And in reality, God, I'm I'm praying that you open their eyes to see their king and that he's already place this within them we already walk around with this power in us that raised Jesus from the dead and so God my prayer is that you would consume their lives with that power that just like in the tomb when Jesus his cells and molecules became full of that power and and the, the grave could not hold him down I mean, we celebrate this stuff every time we go see a movie with an, an epic superhero. But the truth of the matter is, I'm praying that you would wake this sleeping giant. That this church that you have filled with that same power, that you would wake us up. And that we would step confidently into battle. Clothed in armor. 
answering the call to fight. And that we would no longer be surprised at a battle. No longer be surprised that every Sunday we fight in the car because of course our enemy wants that. We would no longer be surprised that contending for the faith requires engaged warriors. God, I pray you would fill us full of the power of the Holy Spirit and that we would leave this place with the confidence of sons and daughters who are no longer slaves but are brought into a family. We ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. We thank you for your might that enables us to stand confidently and fight. In your name, Jesus.